Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. I'm Alexander Chester, and I do hate myself, but it has nothing to do with being Jewish. And I'm Av Sedensky, and I will not be intimidated, even on Halloween. Welcome back to Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good, a Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. We are here today to discuss Season 2, Episode 3, Trick or Treat, which originally aired on October 7th, 2001. Av, I'm really excited because last week we had what we both agreed was the best episode of the series to date, and this week is just as strong and possibly stronger. Yeah, I thought this season, this episode is also very strong. Maybe not quite as good as Thor, but definitely like closer to Thor than anything else. Like, we definitely, we definitely turned a corner. So we see Cheryl is hanging out with uh, two individuals who we will later learn to be the Cobbs. They're at a restaurant waiting for their table to be ready. Cliff is talking about that, how excited he is, that this is the first movie that's coming out that he's going to have a sole writing credit on. We, uh, we learned that this movie is called 30 Below. Larry walks in. He says, you know, I'm sorry that I'm late. I wasn't able to pick an outfit. They make some small talk about the movie as they're, they're still getting ready for their table to be ready. And Larry, as he sits down, puts his arm around Cliff's wife, which to me seems just an insane thing for a married man to do when on a double date with another couple to do to the other wife. Yeah, I mean, unless unless it was like the only way I could like sit in that spot for some reason, like you needed to hold on. My other question in this scene is last week I asked how Cheryl is friends with Wanda Sykes. Now here's another friend of hers in the industry, writer Cliff Cobb. Right. So I really need to know, where is Cheryl getting all, all these like Hollywood insiders? Yeah. Because in season one, all her friends are extraordinarily Midwestern Gentile types. And now she's friends with all these Hollywood movers and shakers. So we need to know, where is Cheryl getting to know all these people? I don't know. Maybe from like the Beach Club. I don't, yeah, it's not, it's not really clear. One of these weeks, we'll be doing that deep dive on uh, Cheryl David. They, do, they end up getting called to their table. And Larry mentions to Shelly she wants to know how Cheryl's presence is coming along. Shelly says that it's one of the most beautiful bracelets she's ever made and promises it'll be ready before Cheryl's birthday on Friday. Cheryl, in the meantime, is talking to Cliff. You know, they're talking about how she's dying to go to the Amazon. Um, you know, they, they're obviously, you know, they're really starting to hit it off. So, you know, Larry's like, all right, I guess I'm going to try to, you know, make some small talk with Shelly. He does like a little riff on the etiquette of putting the napkin on your lap. Um, you know, saying that, you know, if you're wearing an old pair of pants, it's dirty. It seems silly to put a napkin to cover that. Like, who cares? I guess if it gets dirty, do you put do you? I'm I'm not a big fan of the lap, of the napkin on the lap. I don't usually do it. I just find it annoying. Like, I'm just more... even if you're at a cloth napkin restaurant. Yeah, I don't love it. Yeah, I don't love it, and I wouldn't do it if it's a paper napkin. Yeah, but if it's a cloth napkin, I usually do just because you know society. Yes. Back at the table, um, everyone starts to order. Um, Larry says he wants to order a Cobb salad, but he has some st- some substitutions. Uh, he says, you know, bacon, no egg, uh, put the blue cheese on the side, add cucumber. And Cliff interjects, and he's like, hey, are you even, like, are you even sure you want a Cobb salad? Maybe just order something else, since, like, you're basically totally changing the entire salad. Um, Larry says, you know, I'm having a David salad. And, you know, if the chef, he tells the waiter, if the chef objects, like, just like, forget about it. Like, even if he makes a face, like, I don't want to, he doesn't want to ruffle any feathers here. Cliff is such an ass. Like, even if his story is true, that gives him a right to be offended if someone has different tastes than his grandfather. <laughs> it's just 
It's complete insanity. <laughs> right. Especially, right. Even if you did invent the Cobb salad, it's like, okay, so you just chose some, like, arbitrary ingredients and, like, they happen to go well together. Like, anyone could kind of do that. And I guess it's, like, it means something that it's, like, a it's a, it's a dish that's on a, the menu of a lot of restaurants that certainly, like, makes it, you know, it's been vetted by society. But, like, it's not like you, like... Yeah, okay, there's an egg, there's bacon, there's vegetables. Yeah, that's, so it's a salad. There's dressing, you know, whatever. And so, you know, it's clear Cliff is a, a little sensitive, but he's, you know, he says, as we're talking about that, his grandfather invented the Cobb salad, which Larry says right away, this is a bullshit story. Alex, you, a friend of ours from yes. college, you may recall, I was gonna bring used up to the same tell thing. people that his grandfather had invented the tune for the benching, for, benching, for, the, for the, the, the prayer after, after eating that some Jewish people do. The first paragraph, very iconic. Yeah, it's like... And it's such a brilliant thing to say. Because there's absolutely no way to know if it's true or not. Yeah, it's it's not falsifiable, right? Uh, yeah, so this is like a similar claim to like claim just like this random thing. But the difference is, I don't think our friend was saying this sincerely. I think his tongue was very firmly in cheek. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. Cliff says it's true. He tells a story that he was a chef at the Drake Hotel. What are your thoughts on the Drake Hotel? Hate the Drake. Hate the Drake Hotel. And would experiment with different things, and he came up with the you know this combination for the Cobb salad. Cheryl and Cliff, meanwhile, are either back talking about vacation still. Mentions you know a South African hunting trip that somebody went on. Larry tries to jump in and say that his grandfather's name is Harold Bingo, and he invented the game Bingo. <laughs> Shelly chuckles, but Cheryl and Cliff are Cheryl and Cliff are totally ignoring. They you know they they're not they're just in their own little bubble. Larry keeps talking, seeing they're basically at their own table, tells Cheryl we should have sex sometime, and she's, she, you know, she's like, yes, that sounds like a good idea. Insanity. <laughs> it's such an insane thing for him to say to her without making clear that Cheryl and Cliff can hear them. Yeah, I mean, I guess he th- assumed that, like, that would catch their attention. But if they don't but... immediately react... Yeah, no, now he's... <laughs> then you have to, like, make clear that that was the intention, otherwise... It leaves yeah, no, he's no, he's he's definitely got himself in quite a bind right now. Yeah, this this is one where it's not you know of his, no, nothing to of his own doing. He makes some mistakes here. They're out. Oh, so what, one other question, and I guess we'll, we could kind of get back to this later. But it's like, how are are Larry and Cheryl like this couple's like best friends? Ah, that like basically tonight's the night of his movie premiere, right? Yeah, and they're meeting. They're going out with someone right before. Before they go to the thing, and then afterwards, they later they ask them, "Oh, should we go get a drink?" So it's like they're like such best friends. Like, like these are the people that they're hanging out with like, immediately before and immediately after, like the biggest night of his of his life. And of course, we'll never hear from them again after this episode. Yeah, although it's very strange, Larry's behavior could make somewhat the cause. Uh, anyway, okay, so they're outside the movie theater. We see the marquee for the movie Thirty Below. Uh, a mustachioed man named Donald approaches Larry outside. And he says, Larry, you know, we, you know, we should go play golf sometimes. And Larry looks over at Cliff in the wheelchair and he could tell, you know, oh, I don't want to like, say, talk about golf in front of him. And he says, oh, I don't play golf anymore. Insane. Um, and the guy walks off like very confused because like obviously he knows like Larry's a golfer. Larry's not a- allowed to mention golf in front of someone in a wheelchair. Yeah. No, this is. It's insane. Larry makes does a lot of dumb things with this, this storyline. Well intentioned, but. Yes. Yeah. It's so, it's, yeah, it's like over the top. Like, it's a silly thing to do. If you're going to say that the way Cliff ended up disabled is because he had some massive traumatic golf injury. Right, yes. It, it, yeah, it, it needs to be like, yeah, you just can't, it can't be that, like, you just, like, can't talk in his presence about, like, anything that, like, you know, able-bodied people are able to do. And by the way, you can still play golf even if you're in a wheelchair. Right. If anything, it's one of the sports that they, you know, probably could play more than, like, you know, football. Yeah. No one should play football, though. Yeah, so uh, Larry starts whistling as they walk away. Wagner, and he, she tells, of course. Yeah, so he tells she t- he tells uh, Cheryl that what he's whistling is a song called Siegfried Idol by Wagner, and he wrote it as a birthday present for his wife, Cosima. She woke up in the morning and she came out, and he was leading an orchestra playing it for her. How remarkable a whistler is Larry? Yeah, it was interesting. By the way, it's very confusing to me here why Larry is such an expert on Wagner, right? <laughs> like he knows this entire backstory and history, and it's not like he's planning on doing it as a birthday present. We see it becomes a backup option later. He just knows all this information. Right, yeah. For, I guess for whatever reason, he must have read some book where this anecdote was in there or something, and it's stuck in his mind. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? You know, you know lots of weird random things. 
Um, so a man over here is Larry Whistling, and he asks Larry if he's Jewish, um, which if you've been in the streets of New York City, that you will usually that will be followed up with somebody trying to get uh, leather boxes strapped to your body if you say that you are. Uh, so generally speaking, if somebody asks if you're Jewish, you should probably say no. Yeah, when someone asks you if you're a Jew, it's rare that the next thing they say is going to be good news for you. Um, Larry asks, why do you want to check my penis? Which is the same thing that I say when people ask me if I'm Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> the man wants to know what a Jew is doing whistling Wagner, who is an anti-Semite, and he accuses Larry. Such a great scene here. <laughs> he accuses Larry of being a self-loathing Jew. And Larry agrees that he does indeed loathe himself, but it has nothing to do with being Jewish. So this is the first line of the series that to me reaches iconic status. Like, pretty, pretty good is good shtick in the way that No Soup for You or yada, yada, yada was on Seinfeld. But you can't actually really ever say it unless you're literally just quoting the show. But I do hate myself, but it has nothing to do with being Jewish. It's something I've said a minimum of 500 times in my life. Really? Yeah, no, it's a good one. It's a good line. Although it doesn't work as well if you're Gentile, probably. Uh, no, it doesn't work as well. Uh, he uh, he talks about how uh, Wagner was Hitler's favorite composer, and they would play his his music as the Jews were being taken to the camps. Is this true? Okay, so I've done no research uh, for this episode on this subject matter, but I'll say sort of what is generally known in the Jewish community, I think, is that Wagner was a Nazi or an anti-Semite or something like that, like it's bad to play his music. And hmm. that was sort of like what I was brought up with a vague awareness of. I remember, and again, I haven't checked any of this data in 20 years. This is a 20-year-old memory, so I could be wrong. But I remember, I think it was around the year 2000 or so, that Daniel Barenboim, who was a celebrated uh, conductor in Israel, although I think he had also been in trouble with some people for political opinions he had. I'm not sure. I think he was living in France, but he came back to Israel or something like that to do the a Wagner orchestra with the uh, Tel Aviv or Israel Philharmonic. And at the time, some people were upset about that. And I think what I remember reading based on research I did at the time or what I read about this at the time is that actually Wagner was from before Hitler's era. And, you know, he might have been an anti-Semite in the way that, you know, everyone was an anti-Semite back then. But it wasn't like he was particularly infamous for that or anything like that. And it wasn't really his fault that way after he's gone, Hitler comes and happens to love his music and misappropriate it. And it shouldn't be that all Wagner music is therefore permanently out of bounds because, you know, that's not really his fault. You know, if... uh, if Hitler didn't like Chinese food, would we not be permitted to eat Chinese food anymore? But if any of that information is incorrect that I just said about Wagner and Nazis, uh, please write in and let us uh, know. Yeah. All right. Send those in. Um, so Larry informed this man that, just so you know, they have a mental asylum a couple blocks down. And, you know, they continue bickering back and forth. Um, and after he leaves, Cliff tells them, oh, by the way, that guy's name is Walter, and he lives a couple of blocks from your house, so you can expect to see them some time in the next 20 minutes again. By the way, going from, you know, <laughs> it triggers me as a Jew to hear Wagner, which is within the realm of reasonable things to say, even if I personally think that engaging a total stranger like that is, like, bonkers, um... And yet I, you know, engage on Twitter with random strangers all the time if they dare rank an NBA player two spots lower than me. So a bit yeah. of hypocrite. But, like, to go yeah. from that to accusing a stranger of being a self-loathing Jew is fucking bonkers. It's complete insanity. This guy is basically an internet message board come to life in 2001. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't th- think that it, it's appropriate to... Even have the first form of the conversation with a complete stranger like that. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it's like someone I knew and I was like, oh, like just so you know, like the person who sings that song is like, you know, whatever, racist, yada yada, and you know, you shouldn't sing that song. It makes me uncomfortable. That's one thing. But like to just like walk over to a stranger, it's like, I don't know. I guess you know, it's just based on like what you just said. The Wagner background is just seems like not bad enough that like it's like should be just like complete. You can't have this person's music in society. And by the way, this guy who claims to be so anti-Wagner, he recognizes every Wagner tune that somebody's whistling on the street. Right. Uh, I, me thinks that, you know, on the down low, he's listening to Wagner late at night or something, because oh, yeah, I don't know how else he would <laughs> no, instantly recognize this yeah, tune. Yeah. Anyway, so we see they're inside. The movie's started. Larry's eating popcorn. Uh, Walter asks him to keep it down. So on the subject of the Holocaust, our mutual friend Aton and I once went to see the movie Son of Saul in Manhattan. And Aton got like a big tub of popcorn and we're like sitting down. The movie's about to start. And like this woman like gets out. She was like four rows in front of us. And she comes to us. And she's like, 
you're not planning on eating that popcorn during the movie, are you? This is incredible. I'm not sure how I don't know this story. She accosts Eitan? Yes, accosted Eitan. And he's like, uh, yeah, I think I was. And she's like, well, you know, you know what this movie is about, right? We're like, yeah, it's like a Holocaust movie. She's like, it's like you're going to eat popcorn during a Holocaust movie? Where is your heritage? I mean, we're gonna. We're, it's it's a Holocaust movie. It's not. We're not going to the actual Holocaust. Like, it's, <laughs> like it's a movie. Like, although if you brought popcorn to the actual Holocaust, that might be a nice thing to do. It's if I you gave it to the yeah the, the prisoners. Yeah, if you gave it to the Nazis. Not if I ate popcorn and watched them. In, yeah, or if you gave it to the Nazis, that would not be very nice. Although yeah. genocide <laughs> can uh, make you very hungry. Yeah. So yeah, it was uh yeah it was a very very straight. We were we were like we were like we we talked about it for weeks afterwards. Like, did we do we still not understand what happened? We're like, no, I think she was just crazy and yelled at you for eating popcorn in a movie. It's not like you were making out during the movie. No, we were just watching the because you guys did have somewhere else to go. Exactly. No, we were just watching a movie and eating popcorn at the movie, which is you know is sold in by the theater. How dare they? Yeah, they're encouraging you to do it. Um, Anyway, uh, Larry starts noticing that Shelly has started to rub knees with him. So, you know, actually, it is a, it is a making out. Sort of like, was this crazy woman yelling at everyone who was eating in the theater? I, I don't know. It wasn't like it wasn't a very full theater. And yeah, no, it, it was very, it was, it was, very, it was really, yeah, it was really nuts. In the meantime, Larry uh, yawns for a second. Cheryl, like, hits him to stop. Larry claims he's just tired. He looks over and he sees Cliff is, like, looking at him disapprovingly that he saw the yawn. Um, so everyone exits. Everyone's congratulating Cliff. Larry tells him it was good, but Cliff is skeptical since he knows he saw Larry yawning at, for one second of a two-hour movie. Larry praising someone's performance and them not buying it yeah. is a common theme because in season yes. 10, uh, Clive yeah. Owen doesn't believe when Larry praises his performance in a play that Larry sees. And so, you know, once again, Larry compliments someone and they don't buy it. Yeah, Larry's not a good liar. I have another question. How come every single person at this show... From Donald the Mustache Man to Walter the Jew is personal friends with Cliff. I'd imagine that when a movie has its premiere, some people there might have a connection with someone other than the writer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, unless I mean, this might just be like such a small movie that he's like doing his own like little screening of it. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. Like, I don't know how big this movie is. This movie has to have another premiere. Well, maybe this is his screening versus like somebody else's doing did, did like their own screening for their friends. Okay, so now actually, I have a conspiracy theory here. We are confirmed that Cliff Cobb is a liar. Right. So maybe the reason that everybody here is here for him is because he made up this whole story. He never actually wrote a movie. He just rented a movie theater, <laughs> put up his name on the marquee, and told all his friends to come to the premiere of the movie that he wrote. Yeah, it's really a Woody Allen movie. Okay, so Shelly suggests they go for a drink. Cheryl says no because Larry has a big day tomorrow. Larry says, what are you talking about? I'm just sitting around tomorrow. Um, but Cliff says he's tired anyway, so like, let's just pass. Maybe we'll do it another time. Larry hugs Shelly goodbye, and she gives him an extra squeeze, which again, now Larry's getting you know increasingly uncomfortable. So we're back home. Cheryl's on the phone with Wanda. Says the movie was good, but he saw Larry yawning. Larry says he was tired. He was not bored. Cheryl says he thinks it's weird that Larry said he's sitting around when he's really playing golf today. Larry explains that he didn't want to make him feel bad, and that's also why he lied to the other guy, Donald, the the other night. Cheryl thinks it's funny that Larry thinks all this lying makes him a good person, which I thought was like – I thought that was like actually like a good like mission statement for the show a lot. It's like Larry thinking he's a good person but like doing things his own like very stupid way. And like he thinks he's like, he's like no, I'm the only one who's, uh, you know, doing things the right way. I just want to point out that Cheryl has literally never mentioned Wanda before last episode. And now they're such good friends that they call each other way after the traditional cutoff time, by the way. <laughs> and then she shares details of her marriage with Wanda while Larry's sitting there also. Yeah, no, they, they seem to have hit it off. They're, they're very tired. Larry asks in this scene, can't somebody be tired and yawn? And Larry is right. Why must yawning be tied to rudeness? You know, my my dad would murder one of his kids if they didn't cover their mouth while yawning. Yikes. But to me, like, this is similar to when Jerry complains on Seinfeld about why sex and sleep are tied together. Right. When they have nothing in common at all, except that both take place in a bed. Right. And I think similarly here, being tired and rudeness have nothing in common, except that they may both involve a yawn. 
Yeah, you know, you should, yeah, give, give people the benefit of the doubt. Anyway, so Larry is, uh, he comes to work, him and his secretary wish each other happy Halloween. She says that he looks good, and he says that's because he's tucked in, and golf makes him tuck in. She agrees he looks good tucked in, so, uh, Alex, do you like being tucked in? I prefer untucked. Okay, so that's so it's one tuck and one no tuck. I hope that's not confusing for anyone. Uh, she says, uh, Shelly Cobb called, he says he hopes the bracelet is ready, and he's, you know, while she's there, she says, tells her, you know, could you look into finding out some information about the Cobb salad? <laughs> I want to know who invented it. It's a good thing he has a secretary for these purposes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, uh, you know, to be fair, we've often criticized Larry for not making use of his secretary in situations just like this, where, like, what, what, are, you, what are you going out doing in a whole investigation? Fig- have your secretary figure this out. Yeah, might as well keep her busy. Yeah. Um, so he calls back Shelly and she wants to go out at first. Larry's like, yeah, let me speak to Cheryl. And she's like, no, no, no. I want just me and you to go out. Larry says no. And she begins to get upset because she thinks Larry was flirting with her. And now it becomes clear that Cheryl's bracelet is in jeopardy. He doesn't know if he's gonna be able to get it, which is all, all he really cares about. Not that his friend thinks that she was, he was trying to sleep with her. And the secretary comes in and tells him the Cobb salad was invented at the Brown Derby by the owner Bob Cobb, not at the Drake Hotel in Chicago, and Cliff is a liar. And Bob Cobb, the maestro, such a renaissance man. He's inventing salads, he's conducting at the Queen's Convalescent Center. Yeah. So we, uh, so we fast forward to Halloween night, Larry's manning the door, giving some candy to different kids who approach. Um, and then we see some uh, teenagers come, they're not wearing costumes. Uh, Larry asks him how old they are. He, they say 13, but they definitely look older than that. Uh, he says, what are your costumes? They say one says that she's dressed as her sister. The other one says she's dressed as her teacher. And Larry says, no, You're like, you know, you, you guys are cheating. You know, you're you're too old. You're not even in costume. They call him an asshole. And that, that's it. So we cut to the next morning and their house has been TP'd, as the, as the kids call it. Um, Cheryl's angry that it must have been the girls that Larry didn't give candy to. <laughs> Cheryl's, you know, just very... Cheryl, as is her nature, immediately blames Larry for this. Like, she screams his name like bloody murder as soon as she sees what happened. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's fair. It's like, you know, it's probably the people that you pissed off who called you an asshole. Now, Well, I don't think Cheryl knew that story until Larry tells it to her this morning, though. Yeah, so Cheryl's just like, you should have just given them. Who cares? Just give them the candy. Like, why do you, why do you have to start a war? Larry says he didn't realize it was felony or treat. I thought there should be an age cutoff for candy. Otherwise, 40-year-olds will go around getting candy for people. By the way, Larry's house, like we talked about in season one, that his house was too small for someone <laughs> uh, with his resources. Now he has like a six-car garage. He has a driveway that's bigger than my entire property. So if uh, in season one the house was too small, yeah. in season two the house has like gone completely in the other yeah, direction. I know. And if I said that uh, that line before was a mission statement for the series, then this is one if there ever was. When Cheryl says to him, you have your own set of rules and you expect everyone to adhere to them, but they're not because nobody knows them. What is it with you and your cutoffs <laughs> and your should there be's and your shouldn't there be's? Who cares? Although this is ironic coming from Cheryl, who just insisted on a cutoff for when you're allowed to call people at night. Right. That's true. But I guess there at least it's a universal cutoff as opposed to Larry making his own cutoffs and his own should-bes and their own shouldn't-bes. Right. Yeah. But I love when she says, not everyone knows your rules, Larry. You know, you've got your own set of rules and you think everybody's going to adhere to them, but not everybody is going to because nobody knows them. Yeah. So Cheryl tells him that he has to clean it all up because this was his fault. And Larry says, all right, I'm going to call the police. And they go inside. And as we close the door, we see that bald, the words bald asshole have been graffitied on the door. Um, so the police come and they're looking for a description for a description. Larry explains that they had no costumes. The cop speculates maybe it was a subtle costume that you didn't really understand. So that technically they were in costume. Larry said she looked a little bit like Elvira. But that it wasn't his costume, that's just what she naturally looks like. That was kind of just like her general look. Um, Larry, Larry then goes on to say that because they wrote bald asshole, this should be categorized as a hate crime. Because if they had written gay asshole, because we bald people consider ourselves a group of people as well. Uh, so one of the cops says he is bald and not offended. But Larry says that's because you're not really bald. You just have a shaved head. And we don't consider you part of the bald community. Larry's fight with the cop is incredible. Very good fight, yes. Uh, they ask if they threatened him, and he says, well, kind of, because the words trick or treat are an implicit threat. <laughs> no treat, trick. It's a threat. 
Um, it, that, that, that line reminds me very much of a similar joke from Scrubs where it's like the first Halloween episode of season one where the janitor goes to JD and he's like, I bet you're wondering whether you'll be receiving a trick or a treat from me this Halloween. You'll be receiving a trick. By the way, it's a little surprising that neither Larry nor Cheryl was able to hear all night as these kids destroyed his entire house and property. Yeah, I mean, especially like, I mean, I guess TP is like, I guess you could do pretty quietly, but if they were throwing eggs, like, and they, presumably they were just like, they're giggling and talking. They're not like, you know, professional criminals that are doing this, you know, <laughs> quietly. So yeah, it's a little, uh, you know, hard to believe, but you know, whatever, it's curb. Um, so the cop says, you know, there's really not much we can do. Uh, we kind of tend to go easy on the kids on Halloween. Plus there's a general social contract that if you open the door for kids and they say trick or treat, you give them candy. And I, th- I think very much here, just like this interaction is like really curb in a nutshell. This might not be the best example, but I think this is probably like the first really good example of just basically like Larry having his set of rules that like, you could maybe get a, in your head why he's, like, technically right in that, like, yeah, like, kids shouldn't be able to, like, not even go through the bare minimum of, like, doing, like, what you're supposed to do for this holiday and still expect to, like, be participating in it. But, like, whatever. Like, as the cop says, if somebody knocks on your door and asks for candy, just give them the candy if that's what you do that night because, like, don't start up with people. <laughs> Just, like, learn to live in a society. Like, even if it's, like, technically you think you're right in a vacuum, just, like, if everyone else is just, like, letting this go, then just, like, don't be the one that makes a stand. Unless it's, like, very serious, I guess. Anyway, um, we're back in Jeff's office. Or we're actually, for the first time, we're in Jeff's office. We see Everyone is smoking people, at Jeff's door. Yeah. Much like Kramer yeah. in Seinfeld. Yeah, this is very strange. I don't know why they did this whole smoking thing. Um, everyone's smoking outside. Larry slides past them, waving the smoke away as he goes through. Jeff sees Larry's outfit and asks, are you playing golf today? He says, no, I just like this outfit now. They debate whether the the look of the polo shirt tucked into khakis means you must be playing golf. Completely insane. Um, I, yeah, I'm totally on Team Larry here. I mean, like, I this is a this is a very common uh, outfit that people that I know wear, you know, to- a polo shirt. And- yeah, I, and never before I saw this episode or since did I think of it as a golf outfit. Yeah, it's very. I, 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 I mean, I don't wear that all the. I tend to now not tuck in my polo shirt, but I've definitely worn it tucked in, and plenty of people wear it tucked in. I don't. I and I've never. I played golf like twice in my entire life. So, um, so he asks Larry if he wants to play golf tomorrow. Larry says he can because it's Cheryl's birthday. Jeff says, "Well, why not just in the morning? You're taking her to dinner. It doesn't have to be a whole day. That's enough. She's not a baby. It's not a religious holiday, for God's sake." Asks what's going on with the Jason thing. Larry says it's over because they can never get together because they were arguing about where to have meetings. Uh, he just says he heard that Julia is looking for a project and, you know, the idea which works just as well with her. It's the same exact story. Larry agrees and says, you know what? It's funny in 2020 to hear Larry David talk about Julia Louis-Dreyfus as if she has nothing going on post-Seinfeld. At this point, I guess she hadn't done anything yet, but she makes New Adventures of Old Christine, which I didn't watch, but won a million Emmys. And then obviously she had Veep and now she's like the most celebrated comedic actress of her era. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, yeah, so one uh, seven, 70, 75 Emmys or something. Um, uh, so, right, so Larry says he'll call. Uh, they head out of the office. They go through the smokers again. So, really, the smokers like serve like no purpose here, right? Yeah, maybe there was a deleted scene or something like that. Very strange. Very because otherwise, it doesn't really make sense why they make a point of it twice. Yeah, um, he sees Donald. He's like, "Oh, I see you do play golf because of the shirt," which is like ridiculous. Then Larry lies, which completely unnecessarily says, "No, he was just wearing the shirt. He doesn't believe him." And Larry like, he calls Larry sick. He could have just said, "Hey, sorry, yes, I do play golf. I just like didn't want to make that guy feel bad the other night because." Like and and like Donald would be like, oh, okay, like that doesn't seem necessary. But at least like he's not gonna be angry at Larry now. He's like, yeah, okay, let's we can play golf. Like let's make a golf date. Um, just tell him the truth of last time, basically. Although Larry doesn't want to play golf with Donald, so for him, I guess it's a uh, side benefit. We go over to uh, Larry heads over to Cliff's house. He walks in without knocking because no one is uh, really answering the door. He's looking for Shelly. Cliff sees him and says she's not here. Larry says he's here for the bracelet. Says. Cliff says, there's no bracelet, and I know what's going on. When Larry Larry's... first sees Cliff, he says, it's my wife's birthday, enraging you of. Oh, he did? I missed that. I immediately think of you every time, obviously. Oh, yeah, I, I missed that. And it's especially bad here because Cliff is friends with Cheryl, not Larry. So Larry doesn't have to say, it's my wife's birthday. Yeah, no, if I had, if I had, not, if I had heard the, that line, I would have been enraged, and I'm enraged now to hear it from you. Um, yeah. 
ridiculous. I also love the cadence of it's very Seinfeldian how Cliff says, forget the bracelet, Larry. There isn't going to be a bracelet. No bracelet. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The cadence. Um, Larry says, you know, I was just all being a big misunderstanding. I was just joking around. Cliff, but Cliff is very angry. See, angry. He, uh, he notices Larry's clothes and gets even more upset that he lied about playing golf. This is totally insane. It's one thing for someone who golfs all the time to think that what Larry is wearing looks like golf clothes. But why would a person who doesn't play golf say that? And not just say that, but use that as the predicate for his belief that Larry's a liar about everything. Yeah. Larry says, I'm a liar. You're a liar. You've made up the bet with the uh, Cobb salad. Cliff says, no, Bob Cobb stole the idea for my grandfather. So, you, you know, it really I wasn't lying. Your, your investigation is uh, fake news. So Larry's driving. He's on the phone with someone. I don't think we ever figure out who the, know who this is. Uh, he's telling him, them about how he caught Cliff lying about the Cobb salad. Maybe it's Cheryl. I don't even know. Yeah, probably Cheryl. Maybe Jeff. Or Jeff. I'm just happy he's using his cell phone. Yeah, probably Cheryl or Jeff. Yeah. Um, as he's driving, he sees he sees uh, he sees Elvira, the trick or treat girl, and he pulls over. He greets her. Hey, Elvira. Uh, he doesn't really know who he is at first, but then she figures it out. They take shots at each other. Now, of course, her father is the Wagner guy. He comes out and he says, Larry David, what brings you to our Jewish household? This is amazing. He tells him, you know, your daughter egged and TP'd and graffitied my house. Uh, she insists that he's lying. And, of course, he believes her over Larry David. He gets angry. He says he knows about what you did to Shelly. And he starts screaming, postman, come here. Tell the neighborhood what a Shonda Larry David is. He screws the wife of a man in a wheelchair. While the girl yells, <laughs> bald asshole, and maybe you should have given me some candy. Admitting so it. Now she's admitting that she did it. Um, it's interesting that la- later Larry would become very uh, romantically interested in women in wheelchairs. Ah, this is where and I got the idea. now he's being accused of screwing the wife of a man in a wheelchair. Maybe Shelly told them how enjoyable it is to have relations with someone in a wheelchair but one thing here which when i first saw this episode 15 years ago i thought was slightly ironic uh is that walter the anti-vognorite calls himself such a righteous jew yeah. as an orthodox jew i was raised to believe that trick-or-treating is a gentile activity that jews should not participate in yeah so uh, i think amir is gonna ask a similar question um i it that doesn't strike me as like problematic from like the average, like, secular Jew. Oh, for sure. I'm not saying it's a problem. I just think it's ironic. Yeah, okay. So you're just saying it's ironic, not that not that this is not believable. Oh, for sure. This is not anything. This is 0.0001% of Jews that are aware of this. Although, I will point out that my wife, who is now Orthodox, but uh, did not become Orthodox until college, the two facets of Orthodox Judaism that she has always found the most difficult and challenging to deal with, nothing to do with, you know, female empowerment or LGBT rights or anything like that, uh, it's two very minor points, and one of them is that her kids are not allowed to go trick-or-treating because, you know, she grew up a fairly observant conservative Jew, and it just baffles her that anybody would consider this a, a problematic or non-Jewish thing to do. Yeah, yeah. We, we've, we've let our kids go a few times because we don't really care because it's probably for the same reason she says. It's, it's just like a fun, stupid holiday. There's nothing actually, you know, pagan or whatever. Ah, but 500 years ago. Yeah, right. It's just like, oh, they can't get candy. Yeah, because once upon a time, right. there was no, a... It's just, you're, just, you're putting on a superhero costume and getting candy. Ah, like the Gentiles do. Um, anyway, <laughs> so uh, he gets home. Cheryl wakes up. Uh, the Wagner is being played by String Quartet. She hugs Larry. She's very, you know, very happy. This is a very nice birthday gift. Jeff arrives to play golf, and Cheryl says, nope, not today. She's all of a sudden now upset. He tells Jeff no. Jeff, Jeff's, Jeff's upset because it was hard to get a tea time. Asks, you know, maybe we could get nine holes. She says no. They say maybe six holes. <laughs> she says no. Yeah, an insane request by Larry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, in our last scene, we cut over back over to Walter's house, the Wagner guy, and Larry is playing Wagner with the, with the string quartet, and Larry is the conductor. An amazing ending. Yeah, very, it's, uh, yeah, the ending is ridiculous, but it's still very funny to see. Yeah. I have one question about the timing. So Larry lost the bracelet and comes up with this fantastic idea for a makeup birthday present. He pulls it off overnight because that happens on Thursday night when he goes to pick it up. And Friday morning, early Friday morning, he has this orchestra playing in his house. How did he pull this off? He couldn't have used Jeff because Jeff showed up to play golf. Jeff didn't know about it. So who does Larry call on a Thursday night? that he can find an entire orchestra that can be in his house early Friday morning, pre-internet. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Larry's, uh, Larry, Larry's well-connected. 
Anyway, but I loved this episode. I'm laughing so hard through the last few minutes of this episode that I can barely breathe. He screws the wife of a man in a wheelchair. Maybe should have given me some candy, you bald asshole. So this episode is so great that I almost feel like I need to redo my whole ranking system because can I give it a five? Like we know the show is going to get even better than this and the scale is only out of five. But you know what? Never mind. This episode is incredible. Pretty, 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 pretty good. I'm giving it the full five pretties. Through 13 episodes, it's it's far and away the best. It's There's nothing more I could have wanted out of this episode. Yeah, I think it's a great episode, too. I'll, I'll go just a hair below at 4.5, even with Thor. Although I, th- I think Thor is probably a little bit better than this for, for me, but they're both very, very strong and of a similar caliber. The, people really just start, like, upping their games in terms of just, like, the ridiculous characters that we start to experience. The Cobb with was a little strange this week, um, but I think I'm going to go with uh, Cliff Cobb just because I think his the, the 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 move of the claiming your grandfather made the the Cobb solid is just like such a strong play. Um, as we said, it's just like you can't; it's a completely unfalsifiable lie. Uh, it's just well, you can just Google it. Yeah, in today's day and age, but like back then, it was already still like on the brink of like you you know you could still just like make outrageous claims that people couldn't really rebut. Um, and it's just like it's the right level of like cool where it's just like no one's gonna like think anything of it and like actually care to look it up uh, because it's like okay, sure, yeah, like why would you lie about that? Uh, so it's a really just great play, um, and I and the way he confronts Larry at the end was also very funny. And he's uh, he's an accomplished uh, screenwriter, so we su- we support that. How about you? Anyone uh, different pick? So I'm gonna go with uh, his wife, Shelley Cobb. Uh, he told her, and she's into it. Yeah, much like uh, in Seinfeld. Sometimes you're yeah. surprised by the response you get. Yeah, if it was. Uh... If it was always, yeah, if it was always only this so simple. Yeah, I will say that uh, Walter the Anti-Wagnerite, who, by the way, he's billed in the credits as Anti-Wagnerite. That's what his name is. Oh, really? Does it, we, they tell us his name. Yeah, it's Walter. but that's uh, what he is in the credits. He has the most memorable story to me. That's funny. You're a liar against your heritage. Yeah, you know what? You're probably, it's probably him. You're right. You're probably right. Um, so it's funny. So it's it's more to me. So like I kind of like view it as pairs, where maybe the come with guy is the Cobbs. And the worst person is the, you know, the Wagner family. Yeah, because Walter is clearly the worst person, right? That's clear. Um, well, arguably Elvira's worse because she, like, really, like, com- like the TPs is – not even the TP. The, the graffiti is really bad. Like, that's, like, over the line. Yeah, that might be hard to clean up. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it's – it's it's uh, Walter is the, is the worst person, but I think it's really the families here. It's, like, the Cobbs are the come with. They really, like, are, the, you know, mixing things up. And uh, the worst people are the uh, the Walter family. Now, if we can take a step back in our ongoing discussion of who the worst person is, in the penultimate episode of season nine, we had neighbor Dean as the worst person. He had won it for several episodes yeah. in a row. But then in the finale, we had Jeff take the cake from him. Jeff, you know, commits adultery, possibly is doing even worse things, and also screws over his client, Larry. Who's worse between the two of them? I mean, I don't think we've seen anyone worse than Neighbor Dean yet. He's just so bad. Yeah, but Jeff might possibly have committed uh, assault and other criminal activities. <laughs> right, that's true. And so, I, I, we, although Neighbor Dean probably would have done the same if given the opportunity, right? He's for sure committing adultery. He's, I mean, let, let's be let's be honest. Jeff is a is a dirtbag. I'm sure he's. Uh, he, the accusations, I would guess, are probably true about him. But somehow, Neighbor Dean takes the cake still for our rankings. I mean, Jeff is, like, worse in, like, an overall moral sense. Like, Dean is, like, worse in terms of just, like, a villain on the show. Yeah, that's fair. Jeff is still Larry's best friend, so. Jeff is the worst person. Neighbor Dean, though, he's just, like, the pettiness that he puts on display in that episode is like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fine. I agree. Um, all right. Should we head to the uh, mailbag? Postman, postman, come right, here! Tell emails. the neighborhood. Postman, postman. Oh, we should make that. We should make that like our uh, like a thing for the uh, when we go to the mailbag. Postman, postman, come here! Tell the neighborhood. Um, all right, uh, we have got uh, I think five emails this week. First from Bob Savage. He says another home run for season two. Love this episode. I remember the first Halloween in my house. A couple of my neighbors' kids came. Over. They were about 15 years old, no costume, the same trick-or-treat deliveries these girls in the episode. Oh, hello, so who are you supposed to be, I asked. No answer, just giggles. With this episode firmly planted in my subconscious, I gave them their candy and wished them a pleasant evening. No toilet paper on the trees in the morning. Score. 
When I watched this for the first time when I was in my early 20s, I thought it was ridiculous for Larry to consider bald asshole a hate crime. Now as a 40-year-old balding man, he's absolutely right. <laughs> Very good, Bob. Not a bald asshole, though. Uh, Dove tailing at the end with the bad playing was a reminder this is as close to a new episode of Seinfeld as we are going to get. Bravo, Larry. By the way, who sleeps with their patio doors wide open? Biggest dick is a tie. The father and the daughter combo. Oh, that's exactly what we kind of said. Uh, 4.5 prettiest. Next email from Zach Brooks. He says, I hope Larry saved that toilet paper for 2020. He's going to need it. He says, Jeff is the asshole of the week. Worse than... Really? Jeff? Yeah. W- worse than the uh, the neighbors. Why does Jeff do that so bad? Yeah. I guess that because he tries to uh, get Larry to golf on his... Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Disagree, Zach. Uh, Zach gives it, gives it a 4.0. He says, pretty good, but didn't live up to the potential it had with the Cobb salad. All right. Uh, Claire Hendrickson Jones says, this is my favorite episode of the second season so far. While I agree with Larry that there definitely should be some kind of cutoff for trick-or-treating, I'm not sure exactly where I place the number. My dad, who grew up on a farm, loves to tell the story of how his first and only time doing it was when he moved away from university. What do you guys think? Does the number get bumped up at all if the candy seeker has clearly put a lot of effort into their costume, unlike the girls in the episode with their very subtle costumes? So I think if you're in costume... I don't think there should be an age cutoff. Like if you're, yeah, there's no cutoff. Yeah, for like age. if you're, yeah, the age, Larry's issue wasn't how old they were. It's that they were put. They were just taking candy. With right. No yeah. If you're engaged with the holiday, I think you're entitled to trick or treat. So if you're, if you're, in- for sure. although it would be a little weird if adults came to your house in like a residential neighborhood. Like it's one thing if you're like in college or the city or something. But if you're like in an, in a suburb and an adult comes without kids, it'd be a little oh, I agree, it's definitely weird. But like I would, I would give them candy yeah. and just be like, okay, like they're. Well, you'd give anyone yeah. candy because you're not. But like. like- and I have had teenagers come not in costume, you know, but I don't want to be called the bald yeah, asshole. for sure. So, um, so yeah. Um, okay. One, uh, two more emails. First one uh, from Amir. He says a few comments. He says, I never, number one, I never made the connection before, but the actor, Danny Breen, who asks Larry about playing golf, I believe his name was Donald, is also the guy who sells Elaine the Malaysian glasses in the scofflaw. Oh, Yeah. They do look the same. Yeah, I, I see that similar right now. Uh, number two. Yeah, job, um, <laughs> Does that count as a uh, celebrity? Who's, yeah, who's I don't think show? so. Um, Amir says that the line, I want you to go on the internet and get some information for me, is the funniest thing said so far in all of Curb. It's a good yeah. line. Um, and number three, Amir says, if the crazy anti-Wagner guy is such a proud Jew, shouldn't he be upset? His daughter went trick-or-treating, which he admits to, or react... Uh, that is of pagan Christian origin. Amir, has, Amir doesn't realize this is unheard of by anybody who's not like a uh, very orthodox yeah. Jew. Yeah. Okay. Last email from Olin Allen. It's a long one. Let's see what he has to say. Overall, another great episode of Curb. Maybe not quite hitting the individual highs as last week's, but was consistently funny throughout, whereas last week did have a minute or two of straight exposition. Great to see Larry win at the end of an episode as well. Some overall thoughts. He found some nice continuity into recent series, such as Larry asking if the chef makes a face, don't give him an adjusted Cobb salad, and also being seen as tired at the theater. I did briefly think that the golf buddy looked familiar and figured that he looked like what I imagined a young Andy Reid to look like. Not bad. Um, he does look familiar, yeah. but not for that. I presume this episode has a significantly increased the hit rate on the Wikipedia page for the Cobb salad. That's probably true. Oh, sure. I'm sure the Wikipedia page of the Cobb salad talks about this episode. Yes, it must. And there's probably a whole section about the origins and which who's right from the Curb episode, which yeah, we probably should yeah. have looked into that. I'm on it. In popular culture, the origin of the Cobb salad was the subject of the debate featured in episode three of season two of Curb Enthusiasm. And is there does they, do they talk about who what the real origin is? So there are various yeah, stories. That's, that that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, One says it came about in 1937 at the Hollywood Brown Derby restaurant, which is uh, you know, what they provide. And that was by Bob Cobb. It was created actually, to be accurate, it was created by Paul G. Posty for Bob Cobb. Bob Cobb was the owner of the restaurant. Paul G. Posty was his chef. It's named for the restaurant's owner, Robert Howard Cobb. Stories vary whether the salad was invented by Cobb or by his chef, Paul G. Posty. The legend is that Cobb had not eaten until near midnight, and so he mixed together leftovers found in the kitchen, along with some bacon cooked by the line cook, and tossed it with their French dressing. Another version of the creation is that Robert Christ, executive chef at the restaurant, created the salad in 1929, the year the Brown Derby's Hollywood location opened, and named it in honor of Robert Cobb. Mm. Same source confirms that 1937 was the reported date of the version of above. Okay, so there seem to be multiple sources, but they all generally relate to the Hollywood Brown Derby, not from in, and so it was not in Chicago. Yeah, so, yeah. It's it's a, a or he was just told a piece yes. of uh, family lore. So maybe he is uh, one two thousand twenty fourths the creator of the Cobb salad. 
He then goes on to say he has a shirt exactly like Larry's first golf shirt that I regularly wear and I've never played golf. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Olin says he found the Jewish Wagner arguments to be the highlight of the episode. As a Gentile Catholic raised Irishman, I know it can't be directly car- comparable, but I do enjoy annoying my native brethren by singing along to God Save the Queen should it ever be playing or or other <laughs> English nationalistic sporting songs. So I am definitely... Where is your heritage? <laughs> so I definitely am on Larry's side of this exchange. I feel Irish people are more sensitive to the song element than most Jews should be about Wag- would be about a Wagner tune specifically, but I'm happy to be corrected by your better informed selves. P.S. Hope your podcast doesn't have a huge Irish following yet. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, as we said, like, I, I can't imagine, like, anyone I know, like, saying, like, I don't play Wagner in my house or something like that. I mean, I don't know anyone who really is. It's the classical music. Well, no, again, I think, I think that's a very, I think that is a more common take than you realize. Yeah. But I think the bigger issue is that how well does this guy know? Like, if I heard a Wagner tune, I wouldn't even know it was right, a Wagner Right, right, that's the thing. If someone mentioned Wagner to me, they said, hey, let's go listen to some Wagner, I'd, well, I'd be like, well, that's a weird thing for you to ask for. Yeah. But that guy recognizes it from Larry's whistling, which means that he was uh, doing his research on Wagner, uh, you know, behind the scenes. So yeah. he seems to be yeah, uh, I mean, listening I'm, to a little I'm bit of Wagner that on the download. also just like the, uh, the, the Venn diagram of like Jews who like listen to a lot of classical music but don't listen to Wagner because of anti-Semitism is probably like not a, lar- a lot of people. Yeah, it's similar to Jews who, uh, you know, don't, don't go electric right. because it's uh, a Gentile activity. But he says for the come with guy for the first time, he's just going to go with Larry himself, uh, which I think is against the rules, but whatever. Sure. Oh, he says he's wonderfully thoughtful of Cheryl. Great improvisation, both on a gift and, on, and the revenge and fought him. It's a, it's a great gift. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And found him very well humored originally when complaining Mr. Cobb on his marquee and the scenes in the film. Totally agree with him on the candy. Uh, the villain of the week, he said he thought it'll be the cause, but he'll go with Elvira and her friends. Overall, okay. he'll yeah. give it a four out of five. Like Chester, I may review it end of season my episode rankings over first two seasons. All right. Yeah. Great episode. Next week, we have the shrimp incident, which is, by the way, another episode where as an Orthodox Jew, I'm like, uh, you know, you guys are breaking some rules here. Yeah. I remember, th- I, re- I remember really loving this episode, so I'm excited for it. Yeah. The president of HBO, Larry Believes, eats some <laughs> of his takeout Chinese shrimp, which leads to conflict when he and Julia pitched HBO. Larry will also use a uh, a word that some find offensive, yes. and and he may get accused of uh, some spousal abuse. So. Yeah, the uh, the Chinese restaurant in our uh, neighborhood has been closed down since coronavirus started. Sorry, to hear. Uh, I think they had to like fire their uh, waitstaff, but we are ordering uh, from a place in uh, from the city tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to it because, in my opinion, Chinese food is pretty, 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 pretty good. 